look back with me for just a moment. It's raining outside, it's summer vacation, and the only thing you have at this moment is a game to play. Final Fantasy, Mario, Zelda, Crash Bandicoot, whatever sets you back, I'm sure you have a feeling on it. Video games were easier to enjoy back then and just more immersive, right? I remember spending hours being invested in these. These feelings are important and we hold on to them and cherish their personal meanings and qualities. We should all be familiar with what warm feeling you get inside when you experience one of those games and we all get it because we all have those nostalgic feelings. And yes, we mostly all remember those games too, even if we experienced it differently. The people making games now share those experiences too, or at least they know how fondly you remember them. Nostalgia is a tool that can take you to a place that you feel familiar and comforted, but can also be used to take advantage of your heart, feelings, or enjoyment of an art. And that's what brings us here today to No Controller Necessary. My name is Duncan. And I am Alex. And today on No Controller Necessary, we're going to be tackling nostalgia as it relates to games. So we're going to be breaching a lot of different topics, um, you know, things we're nostalgic for, uh, the power of nostalgia in different sorts of games, as well as uh, relating to the way different games or companies are using nostalgia today. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to be tackling today. I just want to go with a cold, hard question for you, Alex. And this All right, is lay it on me. Swinging it right to you, buddy. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Are you sure? I got the bat. I got the bat held up. I'm ready to make this a home run. Baseball metaphors. Go on. What is the last thing? that triggered your nostalgia the million dollar question oh man the million dollar question is answered infinitely easier right now in april than it would have been in march because the <laughs> last thing that triggered my nostalgia was 100 percent the last game that we did an episode on which was the final fantasy 7 remake um i don't want to dive too deeply into it but boy howdy i you know, we've we played and talked about maybe the first ten hours of that thirty-hour game. I'm about twenty-one hours in, and you know, you know, I've been listening to the soundtrack from the original game on repeat for like three, maybe two weeks since I've been working, um, just reliving every ounce of being seven years so, old and playing through that game again. So you're listening to the new soundtrack? I listened to the new soundtrack a little bit. And then when I'm like, okay, I don't want to hear the new remixes of songs I haven't run into yet, I jump back to the 1997 soundtrack and listen to that one straight See. through because it's still 100% so like declassified do prefer, bangers. Do you prefer the soundtrack of songs that you have heard in the new game as opposed to the old songs? Or do you kind of like flip-flop back and forth? So like, you know, let us let me just kind of like... Ba -ba 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 -na, da -da 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 -na. You know, everyone wants to hear that kind of thing. Like, mm -hmm. do you like mm -hmm. to hear that in the new version or the old version? I, I will say I actually think the new version soundtrack is better. I think that they did an incredible job keeping the spirit of the old one and putting the, but like kind of adding finishing touches. But, but a lot of the songs that I'm actually the most nostalgic for aren't going to be in this new version because they're from later in the game. So I can't get that same sort of like feel good B7 vibes unless I go back to the songs that aren't in this version of the game so far. Do you think there's any sort of orchestration, or not orchestration, any composition of the new version of a soundtrack that would leave you feeling like, this doesn't work for me? Or because it like inherently has the same notes and like flow as the old song, 
you know, it just is going to work for you no matter what. Um, no, I, I 100% believe that there are versions of this updated soundtrack that would not work for me, right? I think um, if you just took the original 1997, like, chiptune, maybe not chiptune, I don't know music terms well enough to talk sure. about that, but if you took the original, like, 1997 PS1 era music and just said, like, okay, we have the score, we are going to play orchestral arrangements of this exact score, mm-hmm. um, I think that would be fine, but I think it would feel flat, um, cool. But that's not what this did, right? And I think part of that is because the composer, um, I'm pretty sure Nobu Umatsu, as I believe how you pronounce his name, is still the same composer on both of them. I think it's just been like he's been working with other people on this. But what it really does, um, and this will probably be a lot of what we talk about in this episode, is it takes the heart of what those original tracks were, right? It gets like, here are the specific you know notes that you remember here's like the specific runs that you remember here's the specific like key changes and shifts in tone that you remember but we're going to give you enough of that so that you know it's the old song but we're going to layer everything on top of it that we were incapable of doing in 1997 on the ps1 that like really drives home the effect of what like why you like the song right it really drives home the like okay here's like a bunch of layered complex different things like weaving with one another to like really keep you on the edge of your seat and keep you interested in a way that the original 97 soundtrack wasn't capable of doing but that's how you felt in 97 because that's what it was capable of doing right right so i think that is like the fact that they didn't just take it and then remaster it they took it and turned it into what it would have been if it was released in 2020. Is, There's a huge difference between re-enhancement and reenactment. You know what I mean? Like where as the soundtrack could have been reenacted just like you said like we're going to take the exact same notes, the exact same, you know, the exact same formatting and uh, recreate it versus enhancing it a little bit more. Ah, cool. Yeah, and know? I want to I want to real quick, I do just want to say um, just to give some context to what we're talking about, because we can do this for audio with nothing else, I would like to play just like a 10 seconds of a clip from the original 97 right here and 10 seconds from the 2020, just so you can get the idea of what they're doing. No. I want to make sure we got that in there, because I think that this whole content conversation loses no. it without that context. No, I won't. Well, look. Alex, we I talked tried. about this. I look, can put in look, one song, look. a podcast. When I edit, it's hard to do. Okay? If, hard to if you didn't song. hear it, blame it on Duncan. He's the one that hates our fans, okay? Not me. I love you all. nostalgic for what what's the last thing not that you were nostalgic for what's the last thing that really triggered that nostalgic feeling that brought you back let me take you back no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i just do the intro again um yeah. no, let's say, so um i 
legitimately uh, busted out my Nintendo 64 and forced my significant other to play Mario Party with me. A, if you caught up on our wow. 100th episode, a long, long time tradition for the Duncan. Uh, um, <laughs> you heard people. it here first, folks. Duncan hates his significant other <laughs> and wants her to have a bad time. No, she's actually extremely interested in playing Mario Party. And I busted out <laughs> Mario Party and, like, I, I've kind of like, I feel like Mario Party is so like up to date and current that it's not really like triggering my nostalgia in the same way. But what did yeah. is when I was perusing, getting my dirty little fingers in my whole N sixty four collection and pulled out that DK sixty four cartridge, and that's what did it for me, man. Rolling back to those DK sixty four days. Rolling back to renting DK sixty four getting to the third level and having to return it like (laughs) man and what a powerful feeling to just say like no mom i'm gonna keep this game because i'm 26 and i can play it now (laughs) all together i can play the whole thing and i got to the fourth or fifth level and interestingly enough i'm just like well i'm not that interested in it anymore i got like (laughs) i got all of the bananas from the levels that i used to play when i was younger and then when i got to the less familiar levels i'm like this is just isn't fun for me anymore and i think that is a huge like testament to me to say like the reason i enjoyed dk64 is pure nostalgia and nothing else there is and it's very dissimilar to the Final Fantasy VII remake where it's like, you know, this is an enhanced version of something that you feel nostalgic for. I'm playing an old game that I felt nostalgic for, and it is just not a great video game toe-to-tip. <laughs> and when it really comes down to it, and I'm like, okay, I still, like, the controls feel the same, but just the level and the music. And I'm, I'm like, huge into the, like music of feeling like feeling game music and stuff like that and when i heard the music i'm like i don't recognize this track and it just didn't feel right so i'm curious in that particular instance then right like you you made it through the first three levels on pure nostalgia Did, like was there a point when you were going through those first three levels where you were like hey i like this is cool that it's a throwback but i recognize this actually is a bad video game or was it not until oh, yeah. after you got back okay oh yeah i mean like So there are so many instances where you just walk down a hallway. So if if you're not really familiar with the mechanics of DK64, there's five Kongs, right? And you got to switch between the Kongs at tag barrels to collect certain collectibles. It's a famous game for having way too many collectibles, yada, yada, yada. But it leads you on trails with certain Kongs with collectibles. So there could be a line of bananas down a hallway, um... And, like, let's say they're Diddy's Bananas. So you run down that hallway, and at the end of the hallway, there's nothing for Diddy. It's just a hallway of bananas they knew they had to put somewhere. (laughs) So it's, like, as a kid, that didn't matter to me because I got the, like, satisfaction of collecting those bananas. And I knew that it would bring me towards the next boss. That that, That kind of mindset. But now it's, like, you're wasting my time. Back then, you know, I didn't have to... I didn't feel those feelings of like, God, this game's wasting my fucking time and it's got mm-hmm. bad level design. It was just beautiful Kongs, beautiful 3D monkeys. Love those big giant 3D monkeys. Um, right. 
what was do you remember what the public reaction was to that game at the time i'm very curious about yeah. donkey kong 64 in particular because like oh. i have no nostalgia for it whatsoever i didn't own an n64 i never played a donkey kong game full stop like even today i don't think i've played a strictly donkey kong game um you're asking and... the right person because i have gone into a <laughs> deep dive to just okay. like learn about dk64 by the way if any of you are interested in dk64 content check out the tool assisted speed run exclamation video it is fascinating uh anyways so um <laughs> the the public reaction to it was actually pretty positive um, really okay to to certain like it, it was positive mixed because i think they just did a lot of things i think it was back in the time where game length and like how long could you keep your shitty fucking kid sitting down and just like entertained with something and i think that dk64 did an amazing job because of how long and how much there was to do in it um yeah and people just valued that more right people were like it's got a hundred levels like that's always hey man. like in those old commercials people still value that shit a lot it's just that now it's built into most games that it's like you just play the bad competitive version of it for 600 hours and be really good at this game that nobody <laughs> likes right and we don't need to advertise how many levels we have haha we're Fortnite, and so like that's you yeah. know and that's just what people do now instead so right and the thing that's cool is like it had such a positive reception but as time went on the negative reception just built on and on and on and on because people later down the line um uh blamed it as the death of 3d collectathon platformers because while it financially did okay it was complete it was a complete flop because it um it required that big red ugly expansion pack that you stuck into mm -hmm. your N64 because otherwise yeah. um, it had some sort of bug, which I've heard <laughs> that it may or may not actually be true and that it may have been planned from the start. I don't know. It's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it. But those kind of like that content and that kind of videos like of being like, like I said, the tool assisted speed run and stuff like that is a whole other subgenre of nostalgia that I really, really love where it's like, take me back to the people who made the things that I loved in a mm -hmm. time that I didn't understand. Yeah. I mean, that, that is really interesting. Like that is endlessly fascinating to me, especially because so many of these games that you and I in particular are nostalgic for, like, you know, we were a little bit too young to like really have, um, like a, a understanding at large of like what was going on with it. Right. Like I can't count the number of games I rented from my local video store with just like, Oh, this, because it looks cool on the back of the box, right? I had no fucking clue whether or not people thought it was a good video game. So, like, going back and being like, hey, this is, like, how this game that you were super nostalgic for was received and also how it changed the landscape of the games, you know, for good or bad. Um, and then comparing it to, like, other games that came out at the same time, like Mario 64, like, it's, it's fascinating to see how nostalgia completely colors our perception of those games. Um, just because of the the age that we were at the time that they came out. Yeah, and you're you and I are in particularly very different boats. Where you know you're a avid. I've never I didn't own an N sixty four. This this just is a foreign concept to me. And every time <laughs> I'm sure you have more than just me going. You didn't play Mario sixty four. <laughs> and like I, I I'm really interested for you. And I know like you have played N sixty four games in the future. Yeah. But I'm just curious. I want I I'd love to like hear your takes on going back to those hits and in a vacuum like playing those and understanding and seeing if they really hit well with you. 
Yeah, I mean, and to some extent, I did that, right? Like, to some extent, I, I like, uh, in my freshman year of college, so it would have been, like, 2011, uh, 2010, 2011, like, I went back, and that was the first time I played Ocarina of Time, because mm-hmm. I had access to an N64, and I was like, hey, let's do that, and, like, you know, you can definitely tell, like, there are certain games that just hold up despite nostalgia, right? There are certain games yeah. that, like Ocarina of Time, they're kind of like, hey, the design on this was good. That's why it was elevated to a certain level. But then I, I didn't play things like Donkey Kong 64, um, and there were definitely other, like, I played the, not like, Star Fox 64. <laughs> not great. Star Fox 64 is not a great video game. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, I think it's it's really interesting to to, to look at those I think it's very interesting when you have two people, one person who has nostalgia for them and one person who doesn't have nostalgia for them. Um, as long as you are both cool and won't get super contentious when one person's like, why did you like this shitty fucking game? Um, but yeah. I think that's really interesting kind of interaction to see the differences in how people view those sort of things. So I don't get too, like, so I don't have to, like, wrap back around to this. Do you think we yeah. could talk about... Um, I kind of want to speak about 3D platformers, collectathons oh. specifically, um, yeah. for a little bit because I think it's really important when talking about nostalgia. Because the 100% best nostalgia bait, in my opinion, is ukulele. I think it is just like it's a total cash cow for it. like it just it it and okay, I don't want to say nostalgia bait is like a negative thing. It just like. The whole point yes, is because definitely ending something with the word bait typically means it's not negative for sure. But okay, so here's the thing: you got to look at a hat in time versus ukulele, right? Are you familiar yeah. with and those these are, titles? I, I, they're, yeah. So yeah, they were both, as far as I can understand, chasing the banjo kazooie high, pretty yeah, pretty or or uh, sunshine Mario sunshine. Yeah, was and more we should what clarify. Time was chasing. obviously just so everyone is aware. But like when we talk about nostalgia, we're talk we're trying to talk about it like writ large, but. You know, we're both in our mid-20s, so we're going to be nostalgic for, like, late 90s, early 2000s games. Like, that's the genre we're going to be, like, largely touching on. I understand that if you're, you know, five years younger or ten years older, like, your nostalgia is going to be a little bit different from ours, but that's just where we're able to pull from right now. Sure. And I think the difference between those two is the same thing we talked about when we were talking about the Final Fantasy VII music, right? It's enhancement versus recreation. The, Mm -hmm. um... Ukulele was just a recreation of a lot of the same mechanics that Banjo Kazooie had, and those mechanics just might not hold up in that certain world or that certain environment or you know the current systems and things like that. Or if you try and upgrade it in the wrong way, like they tried to upgrade it in a way where like we'll just make it bigger and more pretty. That just doesn't mm-hmm. it just doesn't work, and it didn't work, and a lot of people came to that game with a lot of negative reception and i think it's really important to know when to use it as a tool to draw people in versus Mm. when to use it as a tool to um base your whole video game around because that's what (laughs) ukulele is they just they base their whole game around it and like it's so apparent in the mechanics where it's like they have the same abilities where it's like, Oh my God, do they have to have the same, like exact same abilities? Mm-hmm. Do they have to be a two combo of two animals? Um, do you have to yeah. collect jiggies or pages or notes or feathers, you know, to progress? And I think it's completely unnecessary where a hat in time looks at it and says, let's take what people let's exactly extract what people loved about those games 
but make it our own make it mm-hmm. new and fresh and i think that's so so important with so many games to make it fresh and um i think a Which lot is of interesting yeah because I, I feel like a lot of people when they initially envision that that's not what they want right like i feel like i say this all the time on you know twitter threads or forum posts or whatever yeah. when people are talking about games they're like i really want a remake of that and then when people ask how it's done a lot of the times the prevailing theory is like oh, i just want the exact same game but i want it like i want it to look really nice instead yeah. or i want like the exact same game but i want it to run better but i feel like in practice nobody actually wants that right like and that's that's part of the thing like maybe you you release like and you'll get high def versions of games to come out from the past um which is obviously different from completely remaking it from the ground up but if you just get like a high res version of a game like people aren't people will be like oh cool it's a new way to play the game it looks a little bit better but like that's it right they do want it because look at the wow classic remake man the famous the famous line from one of the the someone from the dev team of wow the, someone said, do you think about bringing classic WoW servers back? And the guy classically said, you think you want that, but you don't. Mm. And I love that line. And <laughs> I agree with it a lot where I'm like, you guys think you want this experience? Because I mostly agree with you where it's like, I don't want to. I just don't want an HD version of it. Bring me something new. But there are a lot of people who just want you to make that exactly as it was just a little bit you know, more enhanced and roll it right back out. So I think with WoW Classic, there's a couple of things going on. Um, I think the two major points that immediately draw me to, like, why why did people enjoy that? Because people did really like it, right? Um, I think one of the things is WoW still exists. Like, mm-hmm. it kept going and it kept adding on layers of complexity and it kept, like, reducing um, barriers for entry to new people and, like, barriers for how quickly they could get up to the level cap and things like that. And I think that plays a huge hand in it because when you are still actively engaged with a game like that or when you're still actively engaged with a piece of media like that, it's a lot easier to be like, okay, I still have this, but I kind of want to remember more what it was like when I initially started playing it and to, like, do a little compare and contrast of the differences or specifically I didn't like the direction it took. Um, so I think that's kind of kind of one of the things there is the fact that it was still going um the (laughs) the other thing is i don't really think mmo design has changed much since wow first came out Mm. um wow was kind of like here's the big mmo that's going to take over the world after everquest and then kind of like i've played mmos recently and they're not really very different from that um, so yeah. I think it's a little different between that versus like, you know, something like a 3D, you know, collectathon or 3D platformer where it's like the way that we fundamentally think about how movement should feel in games and the way that we fundamentally think about how progression exists in games, specifically with like RPG elements being added to virtually every game and specifically with like, you know, things like ukulele came out on the N64 and that controller was universally dog shit. Um, like... <laughs> It's vi- you can't recreate that exact feeling because we know what it feels like to have something better than that. And like MMOs, and I'm sure I'm making a lot of people who have played MMOs very angry right now, but like there have been changes, but they felt much more incremental, right? There hasn't been anything that felt like a fundamental shift in the way you have to play MMOs since WoW came out. Yeah, uh, I'll agree with you on a very fundamental level. I think there was just... It was just harder and things were more like when I ask people, like, why did you like WoW Classic Um, most of the time? Or why are you playing it now? Most of the time, what they tell me is it's harder 
and the 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 human interaction is different i'm communicating mm-hmm. more with people um and i think that's what's fascinating is like wow took the communication out of the game and i think a lot of people value that which is I don't know. I, I think that's a whole other can of worms that what I don't do you, really want to What do you mean into. it took the communication out of the game? You know, full so, disclosure, I played a little bit of WoW when it initially came out and then bounced sure. pretty early on and didn't play Classic. So are you aware of, like, how Dungeon Finder works, basically? Uh, generally, yeah. Okay, so you queue up as a role, and then it matches mm-hmm. you with five other people to run a dungeon, right? So yeah. that was not in WoW Classic. Like, that mm. that whole thing was not there. You have to, used to have to, yeah. like you know, be in a guild or, like, stand in front of the actual dungeon, you know, and and look for other people to, you know, work this out with and sort of sell yourself. Um, yeah. And, you know, the raid, like, there's also Raid Finder now where it's like you can just queue up and raid with people in an easier way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where people miss the sort of, like, group of community and, like, there was no such thing as non-PVP. So it's like, ha, I can get ganked and messed up and, you know, fucked over. And I think that that is a perfect example of, like, these people really liked this thing that used to be, but any newcomer to to it is going to hate it. Because I was a newcomer to the old WoW system, and it just didn't feel right for me. Um, yeah. And I don't know. It's a... Uh, I think there's definitely two two or three paths of nostalgia. And I think one of the easiest ones to sort of like recreate and most of the time it's weakest for outsiders is let me just make it again, you know? Yeah. And and I think that's true, right? I think when you'd go for that, um, you know, remake style where you're like, I'm just going to from the ground up recreate exactly how this was, but I will change, you know, the graphics so they're a little bit nicer. I will, like, add a few quality of life changes to the control scheme. You know, you're going to please a subset of people. Um, you're not going to draw in new fans, really. Uh, and I think that, like I said, typically I think people will run away from it quicker than they would otherwise. Um, but I, I, I do think WoW Classic is it's a fair example in terms of, like, here is something to the contrary, right? But, you know, then there's a lot of high-profile remakes going on right now. Again, like Final Fantasy VII Remake just dropped. Resident Evil 2 just recently dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, Resident Evil 3 and 4, or Resident Evil 3 is out now. Resident Evil 4 has been announced. Like, There's, there's a lot of stuff that's popping off right now, um, and it seems like the, the things that are being successful are where they take the core idea, run with it, but bring it into, you know, like 2020 in terms of, hey, here's how this should play, um, and kind of expanding on core feelings as opposed to expanding on core ideas, right? Your mechanics um, and things like yeah. that. Like, because I think the important thing to, to note with, like, the FF7 remake or, like, Res- Resident Evil 2 is, like, you take the feelings and the music, and that's all you grab. Like, that's yeah. all you take with you, and I think that's really smart. Yeah, you know, pay homage to the story, keep the same characters and everything like that. But even that needs to be updated because games writing um, has come a long way in 2020 from where it was in 97 or 94 or whatever. C. Barrett. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, mostly C. Barrett. Um, (laughs) As in, let's take a look. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, So I think there's, you know, 
there are really interesting things to be taken when you do a remake like that. And remakes are going to be a huge focal point for this entire episode just because that, you know, that's playing into nostalgia. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting, again, bringing up something like ukulele because you look at, you know, like you said, ukulele versus Hat in Time or look at ukulele versus, you know, like FF7, which is literally just the same game and it's not even a full portion of the game. But like it feels extremely different because one of them, like, and again, I didn't play ukulele, so I'm kind of banking on you to be able to give me this. Sure. But it, it, it felt like ukulele was like, hey, here's what people want. And it felt like it was maybe developed by people who really had a lot of affinity for Banjo-Kazooie, <laughs> but didn't really know what they wanted to do with it. They just knew that like that was hot and they liked that game and then they wanted to redo it. And I feel like a lot of successful remakes, like again, like Final Fantasy VII, are very much like, hey, this is a passion project. I know why. Like, I don't know that, like, that people love this game. I know why people love this game. And I know how that translates nowadays. And we can make those updates. And I think being able to separate that, like, what from that why is, like, crucial to understanding what about nostalgia is so powerful and what about nostalgia can be effectively used as opposed to kind of, like... um uh, kind of, uh, CD is the wrong word, but it's kind of what I want to go like effectively used versus kind of like not even necessarily ineffective, but like immorally used. Uh, there's a word yeah. I can't figure it out, but you know what I mean. Hopefully, so, yeah, I do know what you mean. So uh, I, I think so. Here's something interesting. But the first thing you said is like, were these a group of people who have like you know had a large affinity for the game, etc.? There were one, two, three, four, five, six people on that team who founded the company who were all previously working for rare or were the founders of rare really yeah and the person who composed the music was grant kirkhope or composed most of the music possibly yeah. mm -hmm. um that did a lot of for banjo kazooie and by the were way they the music working there is good yeah, I, I would imagine. Grant Kirkup does great stuff. Um, were the people who were working for Rare, do you know, were they working there at the time the Banjo-Kazooie or Banjo-Tooie were made? E according to the wiki, um, I'm seeing Prezi work at Rare. I'm not sure. That I have to okay. look a little bit more into, but I assume yeah. if they were... I mean, I, I, if I remember watching a couple of the documentary videos... Um, they they were they were on that team. Um, okay, so I think, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think that I never think thought that ukulele was malicious. I think that no, in any way, I think it was more like let's make something that the people want, and they thought mm -hmm. that this is what they want. And I think that this is a perfect case of you think you want it but you don't in a way yeah. where it's like they showed what they had and people were like yes this is what we want yes and then they got it and they're like this isn't no this isn't what we wanted but the you know platonic was like this is what we showed you though you know what i mean like yeah and and i remember when it was in its development i was really invested in like watching every video that was out there for it seeing all the screenshots i'm like this doesn't feel right but when mm -hmm. I scrolled down and I looked at the comments, everyone was jiving, jazzing about it. And they're like, it's just, you know, it's not finished yet or something like that. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think so. It's also really, it's interesting and to some degree difficult to talk about these things um, because there's a, like, there is another element, right? It's not just, are you strictly playing to nostalgia and are you updating it? There's also an element of, like, okay, like, is the design of the game good? 
right? Like, is the level design good? Is the writing snappy? Does it feel good to play? And those don't necessarily tie into nostalgia. Oftentimes they do, right? You know, you can see level design from 2000 and know that it's level design from 2000. Right. You can see writing from 1995 and know that it's writing from 1995, guys. Um, So... There's a, there's another layer there to kind of keep in mind when we're talking about all this, but it you know it's hard to to talk about that for every single game that we're going to talk about and every single feeling that we're going to talk about. Sure, um, I think I want to change gears a little bit because yeah. we've been talking about like you know this sort of like recreating versus um, um, updating or making changes to for quite a while we, here we don't have good words for this shit yeah i was trying to say like remaster or recreation but i i kind of lost the thread there. it's all it's all the same thing remaster recreate update remake it's all the same it's hard words are bad so when you when you consume a piece of content whether it's a game or even we can even expand this to shows or music even that you recognize has nostalgia in it like it's trying to play to your nostalgia for me personally i say fuck me up with that just inject it right (laughs) into my veins i'm cool with it just just do it like just do it if you're gonna do it if you do it right just do it to me Mm. how do you feel about that like are you when you real recognize that someone is just like this is an 80s show or something like that (laughs) does that bother you or are you okay with it 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 depends on the show, right? If it's just, hey, look what it was like in the 80s, right? If season one of Stranger Things was just, hey, we took this aesthetic, isn't it cool how well we mirrored this aesthetic? It would be interesting, but it wouldn't be good in my mind. Um, sure. It, like, I think it's really, like, if you play for that nostalgia, it has to be on top of something that already has some degree of substance to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's, like, it's a just... Setting. Yeah, like if you're playing music and you want it to sound like it's, you know, from the late 60s or something like that, that's fine, but you still have to be like composing good original works that like have some kind of like new energy to it. It can't just be these are the, you know, chords and riffs that were popular in the 60s and we just strung a bunch of them together, right? So I I think I I think it can add something on top of it, but I don't think that by itself is enough of a basis for me to be interested in any piece of media. Here's a light theory I have. I think that there are a lot of games or shows that have an idea, but there may be something where it's like, hey, um, let's tack an 80s theme onto this to help you sell it. Let's tack something that's nostalgic to it to help gain interest. And then when people realize that there's more under the hood, they'll stick around. I think that that is something that happens or at least i feel like it does because this farther and i'm going to use stranger things as an example here the farther you get into stranger things like there's an honest like curve downwards where it's like it becomes less and less and less about being in the 80s every episode but if you look at the trailer or the first episode like those are huge huge factors oh yeah um yeah i mean i I would be very surprised if that does not happen, right? I mean, and there are, you know, there are entire shows built around that, a la That 70s Show, which came out in, like, the 90s or whatever, and right. was literally like, do you guys remember the 70s? Uh, isn't that wild? I also, I like That 70s Show. I think it's pretty funny. I think it appealed to an audience that didn't remember the 70s as well. Yeah. But, like, you know, that is definitely, a like, that 
moves fails, right? Like having that aesthetic, having that callback definitely will get your numbers up. So I imagine that they probably drape that on top of things that didn't otherwise need that heavy nostalgia. Yeah, I, I guess that's my more def- heavy, better definition of nostalgia bait, where it's like, hey, there's this thing that you remember and you feel comfortable or like happy about or comfort or just something like that by or interested in, and we're gonna veil it under an interesting story we want to tell. Um, I don't know. I think that's an interesting way to play something up and um, pretty much, you know, in a weird way, any game that has pixel graphics or things like that are sort of inadvertently doing that whether it's their intention or not you know it's sort of you're looking at it and you're like oh man it's like this or something like that at certain points so i don't know yeah and i think that that it's not that it's a bad thing either no no and i want to be very clear that we're not like condemning anything that does this because i think it can be used very effectively and like anything that can work to elicit an emotional response that like has the value is is still you know not necessarily bad because it leans into that one way or the other um but i think it it gets hard to to talk about this specifically in games right because we look at things like you know indie games that are coming out that are like heavily pixelated or using a lot of pixel art um and you, you can easily look at that and say well it's just trying to call back to like you know, it's, it's trying to call back to people who played a lot of games in, like, the very early 90s or whatever, and it's just playing to that nostalgia. But a lot of that is because, A, like, those people who are making games now are nostalgic for that time period, so they, like, want to kind of pay homage to the games that they grew up on. And, B, the people making those games now are, like, incredibly small teams, and art in games is really hard to do and really hard to make good. Uh, and when you do things like pixel art, you're able to still make art that looks good, but, like, it is much quicker to make that type of art than it is to make, like, you know, fully rendered 3D environments that right. look perfect that you can move around it, right? Like, that's it's, to some extent, it is a where do you put the limited amount of resources you have. Um, but, obviously, there are games that very intentionally want that art style for a specific reason. So, it you know, there's a, a, a weird interaction there when you get down to small creative teams versus what is, like popular media doing at this time in this era you know yeah for sure i uh yeah i agree with that so with all of that being said i just kind of want to swing back here and i want to talk to you and i want to get your opinion a little bit on where like where this nostalgia kind of breaks down like where does it cease to be healthy nostalgia where you're like hey this is something cool this is something i like i liked when i was younger versus where does it become a a glorification of the past right where does it become a a failure to acknowledge what was wrong with those issues that you had earlier like if you run into that if you run into that in games specifically and or Um, like do you know any issues with that not in games specifically but i think glorification of the past is an amazing term and like especially when it comes to nostalgia and eras like when we were talking about um like you know maybe that 70s show or things like even before that were like there were still a lot of things that were not great about the world and country <laughs> as, as <laughs> there's a lot of people that think we should go back to the 50s and that's not good <laughs> yeah exactly and and it's like there are certain people who are like, God, I wish I lived in the 50s. And I'm like, no, you don't. Like, what are you talking about? No, you don't. Um, and I think... You're anything other than a straight white male. You would have had a horrible time in the 50s. Uh, sort of like an example of glorification of the past as far as eras go. But as far as games go, 
I think there is a lot of m- mechanical things that I think we hold on to. And I think there's a huge difference between when it works, it works. And well, it was in the last one. And we talked a lot mm-hmm. about that when remaking mm-hmm. things and my specific, like sort of like snipe is at all the weird Dota mechanics. Like he's weird, <laughs> like pulling jungle creeps into the lane because that was something that happened in Warcraft. And it's like, but that's what it was before. And I don't think that's healthy at all. That doesn't, it's just that kind of stuff really is an unhealthy way uh, for, for old like mechanics. And I think that's not necessarily an example of nostalgia, but I think you can translate that to nostalgia specifically save points. Um, I think there are a lot of games that still use save points where like we live in a world where most consoles have like a bajillion gigabytes on it and it's fine. You can just, you can just fucking save file over it at any time you want. Um, and like save states are pretty easy to just track the character's location and inventory. And, you know, there are some mechanical reasons to justify not like saving at any point. Lives are another thing like, you know, Mm -hmm. lives being a, um, thing for arcades a lot of the times where it's like you get three tries per coin but you own the console so why should you it doesn't make any sense so um, yeah and and with that one particularly there are like you know there is some degree of hey you know we're trying to to make this more difficult like we're trying to give it like a reward for completing it in like a set time frame but i think like the the natural progression of the life system like hey you have x number of lives is i think honestly just roguelikes um roguelikes in the format that they exist now as opposed to like you know rogue when it initially came out which is still very complicated and like a very specific thing but the idea of like hey you have one life to make it from point a to the end of the game is really just the life system extended in a way that like it's built more naturally into the design of the game and not intended to rake quarters out of 13 year olds right like it's right you know i I think i think it's more interesting that way and you can even like when we're talking about sort of like naturally translating lives and this is um Mm -hmm. like Dark Souls, you only really have one life, but you have Estus flasks that are just health potions for those of you who even played the game. And that sort of serves as your life, saying like, okay, you only have three or, you know, as you go along the game, you get more, but like, you only have three of these to regain your life until you get to the next place. It's sort of like your lives, except you have to use them before. So I think that's a really nice way to naturally translate um, those sort of yeah. lives mechanics to get to the other side. Um, when you're talking I- about Sorry, go ahead. No, you're. you're I was just gonna cool. lean onto there and and talk about like, you know, I I think that is really interesting, and I think that is an, an example of good progression of a system where it takes something that was necessarily intended for another purpose and cap captures the feeling of what it ended up evoking, and like, you know, moves it into the modern era. Um, and I, yeah. I think that's really good. And I, I don't mean to step on your point entirely here, but I, I, before I forget, I want to mention that, like, I think the opposite of this is really the idea of people, like, um, glorifying difficulty of games in the past and, like, length hmm. of games in the past, specifically in, like, you know, the NES and, like, um, pre-era where it's like, oh, this game was really hard, right? Like, this game was super hard and, like, games nowadays are, like, really easy. And, you know, to some degree, this is an issue with games culture instead of just glorification of the past but i think that there is a degree of people being like oh like games in my day were like way harder and you didn't have like this quality of life and this quality of life and this quality of life thing and like they've really dumbed it down for a modern audience um and i just like 
this is not specific to games, right? People feel the same way about music. People feel the same way about, like, TV. People feel the same way about movies and stuff like that. But, like, it just, it bothers me to no end when people try to tout out that argument of, like, oh, well, like, back in my day of games, you know, Mm. you didn't have X, Y, Z to make it easy. And it's like, yeah, but, like, games aren't just meant for 13-year-olds on summer break anymore. Like, I've got a full-time job and stressors that I want to worry about. So, like, I don't necessarily want the most difficult experience. I want these quality of life improvements so that if I'm 25 minutes into a game and then have to get up to do something else with my life that is more important, I can do that without losing that progress necessarily, right? And I think that is, like, one of the the keynote things that I have seen when people glorify the past is they, like, glorify the um, failure of mechanics to account for everyday life in them and the way that that has been changed nowadays and i think that that is like again like i said it happens with a lot of different types of media but every time it happens it just it bothers me to no end and it it reeks of somebody not like digging down a little bit deeper and understanding why these changes are made i feel like yeah that's um it's a really good point and specifically like the back in the day thing is like is definitely one of my kind of like biggest pet peeves i'm sure it is a lot of people or like you know when i played games x y or z and i do think though sometimes there is a sort of like wholesome nature to the simplicity of the way things were and i think Mm -hmm. that that can play you know with design really well um i think one of the most interesting sort of design philosophies I've run into as I've been like researching how to design things a little bit easier because I've been struggling with it myself is give yourself as many limitations as possible and then you will understand how to make things and how to make things good at their core because I think Mm -hmm. right now with all the different systems we have to make things and you know all these tools that creators have you have a really hard time with overflow and just being like i wish i could just go back and not go back but like have a limited view of things and i think that's a healthy way to look at you know being nostalgic for something in the sense of like there was a simpler time where you only had eight colors to play with and i think that that was on the back of a lot of good design because like you were so limited um And that doesn't really speak to, like, then versus now, but it speaks to then and that being a really important time and when we understood it just works. And I think that I want to kind of transition that into talking about healthy nostalgia of being like, this thing worked and we want to sing it throughout the ages. Like, I think in a weird way, like, like in my mind final fantasy seven like you know with the remake and everything kind of coming out is like the story beats probably just worked like they just there were just things that just seemed to work for the game and it made it a success because there were elements of it that made people happy i think mario 64 is the same thing where it's like mario odyssey the controller is the exact same except the hat and everything like that, but the Mm -hmm. base controller just worked. There's no need to touch it. So I think there's really, there's a hugely important distinction between what just works and what you're just holding on to because you used to love it. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting. Um, I I think those are two really good examples. So I'm struggling to think of any more, just like right off the top of my head. But I, I I think you're you're right that there are just like there are versions of nostalgia where um, I I shouldn't even say versions of nostalgia, right? Because I don't think it's necessarily that. Right? Like there is Glares? people can be nostalgic for specific things because they were really good. Um, and I think that almost is separate from the type of nostalgia that you hold just for things because you were but a specific age. How do you identify um, that? I mean, how do you identify... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, that's that's really hard, right? Like, that is kind of the core question is, like, how do you separate your emotional reaction um, because of, a like, a nostalgic feeling you have for something versus the, like, intrinsic quality of it? Mm-hmm. And I think that is... Like, I do think that's a, a problem that people struggle with every single time they are engaged in nostalgia, right? And, like, there's, you know, there are reasons for it, right? Like, being nostalgic for something, like, is a chemical reaction. Like, it it releases serotonin or dopamine or whatever and, and, like, makes you feel good. Like, there are parts of your brain that are specifically stimulated when you engage in this nostalgic feeling, um, which also means there are parts of your brain that can be tricked or become addicted to this nostalgic feeling, right? Like, I think yeah. that there are, like very real difficulties of trying to overcome that and i think it requires a level of like you know emotional intelligence and honesty that is like frequently hard to to like pull in to yourself and hard to 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 grapple with sometimes so i don't i don't know like i don't have a like a good way to do this i don't have a like system in place i'm saying like all the time now and i'm just (laughs) realizing it and i hate it i don't have a system in place to separate how i feel about a game from the time period in which i originally uh, engaged with it same thing with you know music and movies and everything like that you know i can't listen to you know bare naked ladies 1998 stunt without being immediately pulled back to that time in my life but third eye blind i can recognize (laughs) I, i can recognize that it's a good game or an amazing piece of music if i just like actually sit down and like try to 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 take it apart but i don't know how i do like do you know how you do that like have you I know noticed how... that like specifically happening at any point in your life yeah i mean it depends a lot on whether you want it to be ruined or not <laughs> so like i think okay. that showing others who haven't experienced it and having them consume it is a great way to like address the quality of something and know that if you just like it depending on nostalgia and also just like Mm -hmm. the internet you know what i mean like but yeah again that is a possible echo chamber like you know i'm going to communities that are talking about this game and they all like it so it must be good which is wrong so you know you kind of have to like be careful with that but you know specifically with other people um and i'll i'll go right back to dk64 because i thought like you know, the first three levels I played were awesome, but, and I played them in bed mostly, which is, you know, right next to my significant other. She watched it and was like, this is, this looks terrible. These <laughs> colors are so ugly. Why do you like this? I'm like, I, I don't know, <laughs> but I do. And that's exactly what it is. It's like, you have to, you know, you have, and you know, she just may have not enjoyed that sort of game, but even mm. so, like, that's a great way to measure the quality of something versus your nostalgic feelings for it. But also, like you said, taking a critical look at it and really, you know, thinking like, okay, if I were to play this, no past feelings whatsoever, would I have liked it? Um, and that's a hard thing to do. 
it's not easy. Yeah. Um, but sometimes and- <laughs> you have to just say fuck it. It doesn't matter. Like I just just inject it right into my veins. I need this right now. It's comforting. Yeah, and that there's nothing wrong with indulging in that comfort every now and again. And also, I, I should mention there are like some games and pieces of media where it's it's not it's not hard to do that. There's sometimes when you go back to it and you load it up and you get the title screen and you're like, ah, I love this. I'm back. I'm young again. Things are so simple. And then you play it for ten minutes. And you're like, this is dog shit. Everything about this is garbage. None of this is Can fun you give at me all. Examples. You know immediately for, from your like just just for fun because like. I've been I've been ragging on DK sixty four, but I've got a ton You've been of ragging like, real hard on DK sixty four, man. This is my it's... latest example, and I've watched like a thousand videos of people deconstructing it. So what's your like what's your take on some games that, that you that, that happened to you with? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. So I played only exclusively perfect games when I was younger, so it is a little <laughs> bit hard to remember. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, okay. No, I actually, I actually had, um, I had a really interesting time with this in high school, which you know it is weird because it's like late high school, early college, which is weird because it's also partially times I am nostalgic for already. Um, but I, you know, I was a I owned a PlayStation when I was younger, and that was the like PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, that were the consoles of choice. And one of my really good friends at the time did not own those when he was younger. Um, so at some point we. Just, you know, I discovered an old box of all my PlayStation 1 games, and you know he had not played any of them, so I just kind of systematically went through, and we played through those games and kind of huh. engaged in them and said, like, oh, hey, like here's this game I played all the time when I was nine years old, and did that for a lot of games, right? That was the first introduction that he had ever had to the Gauntlet series of games, which I think is bad. Um, that was the first introduction he ever had to a lot of games that I held very dear to my heart, like RoboCop LAPD and Unholy War for or PlayStation 1, both of which were not huge hits, um, which I think is wrong because they're so good. Um, but also, I recognize that they're not so good, but it's really hard because I have such a strong emotional attachment to those games. Um, and then there were also, you know, there were other games in that mix, like Bushido Blade for PlayStation 1, which is an all-time classic, and everybody who's ever played it says so, even if they didn't play it until the late 2000s. Um, but I, I do think that was a really good good way for me to go through there. Um, again, games like The Unholy War, which I remember being absolutely amazing, which was, um, I should set that up because nobody knows what that game is other than me. It was like a um, kind of top-down isometric fighting game where, you know, you just chose from a bunch of different characters and ran around. And each character had like two to three moves, like, and that was about it that you can engage um but it had a tactical layer on top of that and it was extremely like robots versus native creatures on this island there was some environmentalism themes that went over my head but also weren't handled well to begin with um also i rented that game from my local video store at one point and stepped on it and took a just an enormous chunk out of the cd of that game i'm not i'm not talking like you could barely see it it was like twice the size of my thumb and that game literally not a single part of it didn't work perfectly after i took an enormous chunk out of that we popped it right back in the playstation and it worked perfectly because games back then were made right man they left (laughs) whole pieces of the cd untouched (laughs) that's that's Um, wonderful so I don't, I don't know. Like again, a lot of the games that I, I played when I was younger were a little bit um, perfect. less. Yeah, they were they were perfect. But you know, Got I didn't it. play the huge marquee one like the Nintendo games. Um, and then games like the Final Fantasy series, which you know, if you listen to our last one, you know that I was a huge aficionado of. I think most of those hold up because I like that style of gameplay and the writing relatively well. So, sure. you know, um, great. So I wanna I wanna kind of 
we move out into a space where I want to talk about if you feel like, because I definitely have had this feeling, have you ever felt mm-hmm. like you were too deep into things that made you feel nostalgic? Like, you know, we were talking about the neurological, like, hey, like, you know, you can become sort of addicted to this in a way um, of, like, just feeling good from the things of the past. Mm-hmm. What sort of experiences or, like, advice would you give for people who are feeling like that? I'm I'm curious if you have anything. I mean, I I would consider myself wholly unqualified to give uh, advice sure, on professional, <laughs> how but like... to move past that. Um, I mean, and not even just professional. Just like I I would feel unqualified because I I like I haven't struggled with that too much, mm. right? I think it is. Um, you know, I think the closest you come to feelings, or the closest I personally have come to feelings like that, is um, things like moving to a new place and not knowing people in the area, or you know, not having a job in the area, or you know, interests, whatever, and being nostalgic for, you know, where you used to live and like the friend groups that you used to carry and things like that. Yeah. But I, I think we're also at kind of an interesting time in human history where like that is not as big of an issue as it was before because the world has gotten so much smaller with the like advancements in communication technologies mm-hmm. so that like most of the people I was friends with in when I lived in Denver versus the people I lived in Wisconsin versus the people when I lived in Illinois like I still talk to them if I was close friends with them because it's not hard to do anymore um so yeah. I, I I'm not great at at parsing that out um I think you do see people who have that issues. Right. And I think, I mean, I think the best thing to do is always to just try to be honest with yourself and find people who will be honest with you. Right. Because when you're talking about people who are addicted to nostalgia and have an issue with it versus people who just enjoy it, you're talking about like a group of high school friends who talk and enjoy the, you know, reminiscing about the past versus that person who never moved on from high school being the best time in their life. Right. Like there's a huge difference between those two groups and what you, you just really need to, um, be honest with yourself and if you're not I, I think the thing that I would come to is if you are not looking forward to the future as potentially being better than the past you have a problem like mm. uh, that that comes out very harsh but like that is where you would potentially start to be like okay why do I not feel that way um, you know separating things like you know issues with depression and anxiety that like obviously cloud your judgment relatively but that that's kind of where i would come from with it sure um what about you do you have a better answer for it not really i mean okay i was more talking <laughs> in terms of like games specifically no yeah but like a little bit better but i think what you had was is really important because you know i uh, my best friend from like when i was like five or six like sometimes we catch ourselves talking about the past so much and i'm like oh my god are we like is this sad you know what i mean like you ever, <laughs> you ever get into those moments where you're like is this pathetic that we're just recollect eh, excuse me uh recollecting like uh moments of our past that were funny or just like fun but we don't really have anything new to say to each other like have you ever run into that i, I have 100 percent run into two issues where i was thinking that before and it's it's a bad feeling it's really scary you feel like oh my god what happens when we run out of things to you know to mention back and forth and do each other and i try to like mm. distance myself from that a little bit more but i always want to come back to it so it's, it's not like you know a huge massive problem but you know it, it's something interesting uh to to, to, to think about but when yeah. it comes to terms of video games i honestly think this is my number one pet peeve with people 
is like i think that people are too afraid to leave their comfort zone of video games and sometimes i think it is based on um the time you spend with certain games and your comfort with them like you know big multiplayer games like you know one of my friends that's all they can play like they don't they don't Mm -hmm. they don't mess with anything else that's all they do um or you know just like being very reserved about what you enjoy and things like that or just like like i just have you know this these couple games that i play all the time like my one of someone else i'm related to it you know it, it does that a lot um where they just like yeah they play the same like you know rpg over and over again because that's comforting to them i'm like in my mind it's just like how that's just crazy to me i can't imagine feeling so in love with a game that uh, you come back to it you know year in and year out like yeah, if you're in that that's... space I guess I'm not saying that, like, you should leave it, but you should think about it more. Because <laughs> I just, yeah. I don't know. It just, it kind of bothers me. And I don't want to, I, I feel like it's a bad thing to say, like, you're doing this wrong because you should be playing it all these new thing interesting things. And I know it comes off that way, but I just, I guess I want people to consider it and think about it. Like, as, I think tr- maybe try something different out and it may, you may like it, you may hate it, but at least you tried going off of that specific thing right i think the the big difference is i agree that like hey people should try out different types of games right people who mostly play multiplayer games should try giving one of these bigger single player games people who mostly play like mechanics heavy games should try giving like one of these story-based games a try Um, but i think the biggest thing is it does depend on what you come to games for, right? You know, games are just one form of media. They're just one form of entertainment. They're just one form of, like, emotional connection, right? So if you, you know, if you play the same RPG over and over and over again year after year after year, but you're just playing it because you want something to, like, you know, calm you down or you're playing it because it really helps you just have something uh, like you can mechanically do that you know all the way through and, like, you're not really interested in getting, you know this type of new experience because this isn't the form of media that you engage with or this isn't the, the thing that you are expanding your horizons on. Like, I think that's fine. I think the problem is, like, if you only play one type of game and spend all your time playing games and, like, make your identity based on, like, games and then you don't expand your horizons, that's where you start to be a problem, right? Like, you, people don't grow when they're comfortable. That is just, you know, it, it is a relatively well-accepted fact that, like, yeah. growth comes from moving yourself outside of your comfort zone. And when it comes to growing your interest in games, when it comes to growing, you know, what you view as, like, effective media, you have to engage with media you would not otherwise see as effective. You know, this is the same thing with people who say that music was only good in the 70s and then, or the 80s or whatever, and now people don't even play instruments. Like, if you believe that, there's a lot of music you should be listening to right now that disproves that very, very, very easily, but, you know... I I don't think that's unique to video games, but I do want to stress that, like, you know, video games are also a type of media that some people don't engage with for any reason other than comfort, right? Like, and I think that's fine as long as that's not the only piece of media you're engaging in. Yeah, I, 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 I guess I just, I think people underestimate how fast you can feel that same comfort with something different. Or how you can trigger nostalgic feelings about something 
with certain distances of time. And I think that's interesting too, is saying like, what is the time threshold of Mm -hmm. feeling nostalgic for something? Because when I, for example, when I listen to the um, Outer Wilds soundtrack, is that looking back at something fondly nostalgic or is it appreciating what I went through with that game? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's different types of comfort because I do feel comforted listening to it because I remember all the great things that happened um, and what made me happy about it. And I'm, and I guess in my mind, it's like, if you feel comfort from all those, you know, those older games, I guarantee you'll find comfort too somewhere else. And it'll be even higher ignited because there's no way you can consume the same thing over and over again and feel as positive about it as you did the last time. Listen, there's only so many times you can listen to Megalovania, right? Like, <laughs> it's only got good so many Not times. Not correct. <laughs> but I, I, that's just how I've felt in the past. And I know I'm wrong on this sort of i i think there are people who can feel like that but i i can't i just can't die on that hill i i I just i feel very strongly about that that you can find comfort in new things very quickly it's so weird because on on the one hand i agree like when we are looking at games i agree with you right there i have had this argument with people who really only stick to one type of game they should really be trying something else because i know for a fact they would enjoy it but then on the very like the very same token I will sit down and be like, all right, for the next three months, the only thing I'm going to watch on TV is like, you know, Parks and Rec again or The Office or, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's true. Those are random examples that are just very popular right now. But, you know, there's comfort food in in terms of like TV where it's like, I know that there is other good stuff out there right now, but I don't want to expend the emotional energy to engage with something new on that level if I am already doing that in another form of media. If I'm already going to sit down and spend four hours playing a brand new game for the podcast, I don't then want to sit down and watch a brand new episode of a TV show that's going to be really engaging. I just want to like zone out and recharge. Um, but I think, you know, the, the flip side of that is like, if four years from now, the only TV show that I could say I had watched was Parks and Rec or the only music I had listened to with XYZ, I think that would start to be a problem. I think, you know, it's, it's a weird balance to strike. And I think it is different for everybody in the position that they're in, obviously, but I would encourage you, you know, in any form of media, whether it be music, TV, movies, or especially games, because that's the only one I feel like we can talk like with any sort of authority about. Like, if you have something that you're that comforted by, you are right. You will find something else that you can be that comforted by if you continue to explore new things. And also, if you ever think that a form of media was better in the past and it'll never get back to that golden era, you are almost certainly wrong and you are not engaging with good media currently. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to what you said about balancing. It's it's about whether it's, if it's not games, then it should be shows, or if it's not games and shows, it should be books or movies, or you need to, if you're consuming media, you should be consuming some form of new media. I think that I think I can agree with that. I can, I think I can sit on that and say, if, you know, you're just playing the same, you know, game over and over again, that's fine. Just, like, try and consume something new because it's important for people out there creating those new things and it's important for yourself. So, yeah, I think I think I can die I, on that hill. <laughs> I love that we were talking about nostalgia and talking about every form of media that you could be and neither one of us for this entire podcast once said the word books. 
because we're very fucking smart. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I read D D five E. Um, I'm really nostalgic for two E. Uh, um, no, it's good. It's great. Um, no, I, I I think I agree with that. I also think um, this is. I I feel like we're pretty much pretty much wrapping up here. But I do think it's interesting. And as a case study, I don't know what we would do with this. But I do think it's interesting to look at how nostalgia can be played into to create new experiences. At specifically looking at. Um, Hypnospace Outlaw, a game that we talked about for this podcast and interviewed the developer of, a game that is literally trying to evoke the exact feeling of being on the internet at that time, but a game that also has, like, an interesting story to tell and endearing characters and, like, good writing and good music and stuff built in, so it, you know, it it plays on nostalgia a thousand percent, but it's not, like bad with it it's not like hey here's this thing that you remember isn't it cool that you remember it it's like hey here's this like recreation of this thing that you remember and also now here is like my version of it for you to engage with that is interesting the whole way through like i think that they that game specifically does a really good job striking that balance between engaging with your nostalgia and giving you like actually interesting narrative and actually like interesting media built into it it nostalgia like i like i was saying earlier it kind of baited you in a way to say like isn't this old internet stuff fun and nostalgic for you and then when you got in there it raised a lot of interesting questions about this world that he built and like you know the positives and negatives of old internet and like what a mega isp looks like (laughs) you know what i mean like it's it's just very yeah. God, I and on top really of that like was that really sincere with the characters in there in terms of like, hey, this is what people were like. These aren't real people, but this is what people were like. Like these, yeah. you could imagine this being somebody doing this in their free time. GeoCities, um, man. God, uh, if you haven't played Hypnospace Outlaw, that is a that is a game. If that concept sounds interesting to you, it is a hundred percent worth it. Yeah, go go check out Hypnospace Outlaw. Play through the thing. We did a podcast on it where we interviewed uh, the developer of it, so you can check that out too. Yeah. But it's it's worth playing even if you don't check out that episode because it was a super fun game. Yeah. Um. The only other thing I think I just have one more thing. Is that okay? Is that allowed? Yeah. Am I, I think, okay? I think you're okay. Okay. Yeah. You're you're good. Just this once. Am I okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wanted to talk about um, feeling nostalgia for things. And what is required to feel nostalgic about it? And what I mean by that is specifically in terms to re-releases or emulation. So, for example, I want to play um, Super Mario World, right? Mm. Some people feel like they couldn't enjoy Super Mario World if it wasn't on a Super Nintendo. Like, it has to be on that console, or they can't, they don't feel good about playing it. It can't be emulated, it can't be on, like, the Wii, or, sorry, the, the, I always call it the the Snap, the Switch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nintendo's new Snap, and you just fucking snap those controllers off. That's my comedy bit. I'll be here all night. Um, Hey, that's great. That's uh, great. Anyways, um... Uh, so uh, whether it's on like a different system or an emulator, they just don't feel right about it unless it's on a specific controller. Do you feel like that at all? Because I've never felt like that. I'm like, as long as the game's there and I can control it, it's not a big deal. So I, I've never once in my life felt that way. Okay. But I can imagine where you would 
if, again, it is a very, very mechanics-heavy game, something like Super Mario World, where basically, you know, there's the mechanics that you engage with and everything else is kind of dress setting, right? Like, I think if you played enough of that so that you know intrinsically how it feels, yeah. and then you play it on an emulator where there is some degree of latency or there was some degree of, like, something that they had to sacrifice in order to get it to work for the general public, I can imagine that you would have a feeling that it is in some way off and yeah. that, that would just if you probably consume it, it so much that like it just like oh my god this just feels weird or like you have a certain muscle memory with the controller you know what i mean i think controllers are play a really big factor into it more than anything because i, I know some people like they're fine to play the emulated version of it but they have to have a usb version of that controller um yeah so i don't know uh, i it, i just thought that was really interesting to say like sometimes nostalgia has like gates and barriers where it's like you can't trigger that feeling unless you are in a particular space or you know have a physical object um yeah and I, I think that that is really cool and i i i, I mean cool in terms of like it's really interesting Thanks. to think about <laughs> um but yeah I, I i wonder how much that is mechanically versus how much that is like how much that would happen in other media, right? Because when you said that and, like, we were talking about it, my immediate thought was, like, okay, I've never felt that way in a game because I've never had, like, such mechanical fidelity with a game that I would immediately know that something is off. Yeah. But, like, you know, I remember watching Scrubs when it came out on Netflix for a while and they didn't get the licensing deal, so they had to change some of the music. Mm. And, like, I didn't necessarily know when the music was different, but I know when a scene didn't feel the way I remembered it to feel. Yeah, that's And I crazy. imagine it's got to be that exact same feeling, but instead of just that one scene, it's every time you're touching the game. They talked about that, like, on the very first episode of the Scrubs podcast, by the way, where they're like, hey, don't watch it on the streaming services because they don't have all the licensed music. And it's a real <laughs> yeah. fucking bummer, man. Um, yeah yeah that's that's really fascinating um it's for some reason that didn't trigger for me because i i didn't feel nostalgic about scrubs because of the music so i never noticed it until they mentioned it which is and i watched a lot of scrubs um yeah. on the dvd so. <laughs> I, I wanted to be known i watched a lot i'm of a scrubs. scrubs boy okay <laughs> tip to toe i wear scrubs uh, um okay i think that's i think i'm pretty happy yeah. about that how do you feel I feel good. I feel like we, we covered a lot of ground relatively quickly, and I don't really have much more to say about cool. the word nostalgia. Um, do you want to just keep talking about this over and over again every two weeks? Uh, I think, yeah. Maybe not every two so weeks, warm because I think feel so I feel like I, I, I want enough time so that I can really feel like I forgot all the things that were wrong with this podcast, oh, and then okay. we can do it again. Got it. And then I'll, yeah, yeah. So just, like a, just long next enough. year, next year. Yeah, I think next April we'll do another nostalgia podcast talking about how great April of twenty twenty was. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just do it in our relation to um to, to games. Um there to so, sort of have a fun fun send off for us. Do you have a nostalgia greeting card? Is that I'll, anything? I'll I'll work on that. Do you wanna tell us all about where people can follow and find us? Yeah, that's more important, huh? Um, (laughs) you can find us on any podcasting apps we should be there if we're not please let us know so we can identify and and hunt down those apps maybe and um our email is thoughtsfromplayer1 at gmail.com we do most of our posting on twitter at thoughtsfrompone 
That's at Thoughts from P1. Our Facebook, we have one. We don't really post there anymore because it doesn't get a lot of love. So if you show it some love, maybe we'll post there. But probably we not. should we should do that more. That's on us. We should do that. More. Yeah. But anyways, so Twitter is our main our main thing. We also have a Discord server. Don't sweat on the Discord server. We're gonna be posting um some when we get some people running around there. We've already got two people there. <laughs> Don't tell them it's me and you. I, I won't, but you probably shouldn't either. Shit, shit. We have two people there. <laughs> and um, we're just going to be posting the games we're playing and, you know, just game discussion stuff. And, uh, yeah, don't sleep on it. It'll be fun. Um, all right. We do have a subreddit where I'm posting all of the new episodes. Feel free to hop on there and leave any comments, make any posts that you want. I'll pretty much prove anything as long as it's not shitty. Um, and yeah, that's a, a good place to start discussions about episodes. Um, I think that's everything. So I have a greeting card that is more time-focused than nostalgia-focused, but it kind of feeds in anyway. Okay. Let's all hear right. it. Are you ready? Let's hear it. Forget about the past. You can't change it. Forget about the future. You can't predict it. Forget about the present. I didn't buy you one. Happy podcast. (laughs) Happy podcast.